We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. This is episode 108 of the pod, Matt Rooney, joined by Joe Musso, myself, Matthew. How are we doing today? Uh, coming at coming at the people a little earlier in the week, uh, a little bit of a, a normal schedule. Yeah, this is this people. is more, even though it's the abnormal for the recent weeks, this is a little bit more normal for us. I want to congratulate what is you. Normal? This is yeah. the first time in on this 180 episodes. This is one of the first times I can actually like remember that you didn't, before we started recording, say, what number are we on here? Well, I think it's because we recorded late last week. It must week. be, but like I'm, I'm proud of you. This that's, week. That's a st- you. I don't expect this to last, but um, I, I'm very proud of you. You remembered I, what number episode we're on. Congratulations. I've been taking clap no, now, now no free ads, but no free I've, ads. Been taking, I've been taking a nootropic, um, you know, some, some, I don't some, know what some, that brain, is. some brain vitamins, you know, just good for the brain. You know, keep, keep things sharp. You know, we, we've, we've taken a hit or two. Uh, we we got to think about the long term here. We got to think about the brain. So uh, been been focusing a little bit on the brain health. So maybe I am a little sharper. Maybe maybe like I'll that. maybe I'll take that uh, maybe I'll take that as a compliment and just leave it. There leave you it go. We're complimenting Joe. We're being yeah. very no nice. free ads, like but Alpha Brain by Onnit. Uh, just I guess it's got me sharp right now. No free ads, but definitely free ads if you guys want to advertise with us. It makes us sound more professional. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're definitely coming for us because it's uh, it's not like they're Joe Rogan. They're not Joe Rogan's podcast. Well, you know, it, it can't hurt it's them company, to be. So. They can't hurt them to be on ours either. It doesn't yeah, hurt. Yeah, you know, you know, spread a – cast a wide net. Yeah, cast exactly. You got to hit people. all your bases, all your markets. You got to cover them. So yeah, we well, we plan on uh, we plan on casting a wide net here today. Got a lot of topics to hit, Matt. Uh, championship season, and while uh, right now we're in the thick of it, and there's a few games left in both the NBA and one left in the NHL, um, we are approaching that that dead period. So let's enjoy this while we have the time, while we have the uh, while we have the entertainment. Uh, because Stay here as long as you can. Hold on. To right, it. late June gets a little bleak uh, after the U.S. Open, but as we said, we will hit it all. But uh, you want to leave things off on the ice or on the hardwood here, Matt? Well, the the ice was last night, so let's get to that, and then we can uh, we can preview uh, what we're gonna it's tonight for the NBA Finals, right? Game five. Yep. We, yep. we can go um, into that a little bit. A uh, a turning point, if you will, a pivotal moment in uh, the. Oh, before we do, okay. Um, now that we're now that you we're sound kind of talking, well, we're glossing over both because I, I had a clarification yesterday that really bothers me. I, I don't like it. Uh, explain to me why it's okay. the. NBA Finals, plural, but it's the Stanley Cup Final. Well, I think singular. final is the right way to say it. There's only one I think series. It is the see, final. But I think that's the why plurality the of it indicates that there's going to be finals. more than one game. No, the, the plurality. But the the, the the final isn't the game. The final is the final. The series are part of the the games in the series are part of the singular final. Okay, but regardless of what's it's wrong and what's right, finals because we have two of them. It's quarterfinals because that makes quarter. sense. It's that final sense. because we have the one. It's singular. You're, these are clairvoyant thoughts right yeah. now. But explain to me why it's one way with one and one with the other. I, th- I just I think the NBA is doing it wrong. Can we get the commissioners um, all on the same page let's, here. Let's get Adam Silver and Gary Bettman on the podcast. And we can hash this out. How about that? Might be able to because I did do a live shot uh, on Game Four right next to Adam Silver. There you go. He basically um, knows you now, and then he knows Gary Bettman. I'm sure, they, I'm sure they run in the same circles. They can call. Yeah, just, yeah. A quick call in. We'll take it'll take ten minutes. We'll get this all hashed out. It's honestly the, now, sh- the short answer is it's probably just branding at this point. They both started with where they are, and they're not change, going. To, yeah. You can't really change it now. The NBA is not going to officially come out next year. We're going from finals to final and change mm-hmm. all their logo. And same with the other way around. It's just not going to happen. The the flip side of that coin, although in our medium in sports media here, it is easier to say Stanley Cup finals rather than final because when you're going when it's in the middle of the sentence, it does roll into the other words nicer with with a plural on the end. Yeah, well, it's just we're not all in for the convenience of the media, Joe. And I'm a member of the media. I, I, we're not all in yeah, for the convenience. Yeah. We're I think, all in for uh, the right I think thing. I think we've, I think we've gone too far here. We, correct. Yeah, I think we've dug a little bit too deep deep here into uh, into root uh, word root source. So uh, well, we are uh, a vocabulary podcast. We always have. Let's uh, let's talk about the actual game here. Game six was in St. Louis. The cup was in the building. A chance to close it out for the Blues. 
and they let one uh, slip right by. No pun intended, but uh, that second goal in the third period seemed like not only the turning point in the series, but or excuse me, the turning point in the game, but the turning point in the series. It was a cookie. It was a must-have. I mean, call it what you want. It was I know, a hopper from I know the blue it was bouncing. Line. You, you, you got to get your you body in front of it. You can't let that. Especially, it's not like it kind of took a weird hop and hopped right over his shoulder, like you know, to the right mm-hmm. of him. That hop, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm doing a hand gesture right now, kind of right in between that right arm and the chest. Like that got through him. That didn't go around him. That's Lazy tending let. is what it was. I can't like. I'm still not sold on this being a turning point in the series. As much as I want to say Boston has all the momentum, Boston's going to take off, Boston's going to win this. Like uh-huh. St. Louis has played better on the road, and they've played better coming off losses. Better, like, they. I don't think they've. I think they're undefeated coming off losses so far in these playoffs. That said, on the other side of the coin, Tuukka Rask, I believe, has stopped ninety of ninety-one shots in these playoffs when his team's been facing elimination. So. Mm-hmm. Something I think has to give here, but I'm not all in the the momentum's flipped here because uh, I, I St. Louis has bounced back from these types of losses not only in these playoffs but in this series they got was it game three they lost was seven to one whatever it was and they bounced yep. back and, you know they they won the next three so the next thing two, is the thing is is for me you throw out convention you throw out past experience here because it is game seven there's a completely different air around this game due to the finite nature. You know, all of those comeback scenarios, St. Louis was at no point facing their fate. They were mm-hmm. at no point facing elimination. They're now facing elimination just as Boston is in a game seven. You go into Boston, a raucous crowd. You know it's going to be crazy. Um, not to divert here, but we're sending our thoughts to, to Big Poppy, to David mm-hmm. Ortiz, who was shot in the Dominican Republic. Not to sensationalize that, but you know there's going to be some sort of tribute to David Ortiz in some fashion or another. It's going to be another one of those moments. And no one does a better job of convincing themselves that they're underdogs than the city Boston. of Boston. Even when they're not, they find a way in these moments to make it feel like it's us versus the world. I'm really afraid for the St. Louis Blues of what's going to happen here in Game 7. It feels like a tidal wave for it's, me, it's, And uh, regardless of the way they've responded in the past. It kind of goes back to a little bit like we talked about, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, we talked about you know the, the least valuable you know home ice, home court advantages in sports, and... and Hockey is one of the few where I think you almost – I'm not going to call it an advantage, but you're almost on an even playing field because while those guys Absolutely. Have, have that crowd behind them, they have that all energy juiced up, yeah. the whole being on the road for Game 7, and I, I've talked about this with my brother countless times throughout the playoffs, but I would venture a bet that if you looked in you know, the NHL playoffs historically, Game 7 winners – would be if not right around even a little bit majority to the road team because they don't have that pressure on them they don't have that weight on their shoulders they don't have to come out and and play this you know they, they don't have to come out with their heads on fire they just have much more of a simple game plan ahead they just kind of have to weather that first you know wave like Boston did last night if credit St. Louis they came out flying last night Boston kind of weathered the storm early got a power play scored and that was that it's mm-hmm. a little bit more of a simple game a little bit more of just straight hockey game whereas not that it's an advantage in Boston's way in a, in a certain right as well. But, like, mm-hmm. they have a little bit more pressure on them. They have to score kind of early to take advantage of that mo- momentum, that crowd. Because if they don't, you kind of lose that momentum pretty quickly. And it swings the uh, other way if you're not up one nothing within 10 minutes. Um, to fact check you here, uh, overall home teams in Game 7 of a playoff series in the NHL. 104 and 73 record. Really? Uh, Home okay. team wins fifty eight point six percent of the time, but that's that's that's, not that's overall playoffs. Okay. That's overall playoffs. Yeah. Now uh, Stanley Cup final. This is overwhelming. Uh, the home team wins. They are they're twelve and four in okay. sixteen well, in sixteen corrected. career games. Uh, I, I heard so, you yeah. typing. That was uh, that was that impressive. I know, but it, that it, no, I, I'm not. I'm interesting glad I, glad interesting I statistic. I'm just thinking um, in in recent memory from things I can. Yeah. Also, I'm kind of shocked. Stanley Cup Finals has gone to sixteen games. Now, I guess if you think about it, that long of a history, it's not how that many, shocking. Like a hundred something years. It's been a while, almost so a hundred years. But I just the, the road team doesn't plus, have right? the, the yeah. So we're going. We're over hundred. There no might not yeah. be hundred of the Stanley Cup. The NHL has hit its hit its centennial a couple of years ago, and I'm not sure yeah. that's the Stanley Cup though. Um, yeah. No, either way, that's that's not what we're getting at. It's the fifty-eight percent to forty-two percent is a fairly for how many game sevens there have been in the history a fairly even, you know, not 
heavily sided one way or another. And I just, I, I'm not, if I had to pick a team, I'm probably picking Boston, but St. Louis is not by any means done. They're not, I don't think that was, that was it for them. That was their only chance they've showed in the yeah. past and in these playoffs that they're capable. Now, if they turn into this, the same old blues early and get down early one, nothing and get a little frustrated to start, start taking stupid penalties. Like we've seen them do so many times in the past, it's, it's going to mm-hmm. be done pretty quickly, but if they get that first goal, um, they, they have as good of a chance. So yeah, obviously. it's, uh, it's going to be a fantastic viewing experience. There's going to be so much jump early in that game, as there was in game six. Yeah. Came out at a frenetic pace. There were St. St. Louis was end of the ice. flying around the ice they, early on. They too. really were. I don't know if that's the proper course of action uh, come game seven. Yes, you want to come out with jump and you want to come out with energy, but you want to come out within yourself as mm-hmm. well because you don't want to get into that um, dressing room and come back out in the second with noodle legs. You know, yeah. and, and it seemed like they may have uh, spent a little bit too much gas early in that one. And, then, and that's what we're t- uh, we talked about a little bit too. When Bo- Even though it was on a five-on-three and you, you kind mm-hmm. of almost expect the other team to score on a five-on-three, when Boston scored that goal, and especially with that being Brad Marchand, who's you know the biggest pest, the biggest public enemy number one in whatever team he plays or whatever series he plays, that clearly deflated that entire building for quite some time too. So that's mm-hmm. – it's it's I don't I don't know where I was getting with that afterwards I kind of lost my train of thought I'm sorry a good point nonetheless thank you though I appreciate that <laughs> um, but if for for me it's it, it's an easy answer game seven is going to come down to Jordan Bennington we, we've seen two versions of him these playoffs we, we've seen mm-hmm. game six Jordan Bennington where you know he's very shaky he lets in a goal or two he probably shouldn't and then you know we've seen like. Game five, Jordan Bennington, where he can't really be beaten. He he let in the one goal, but for the most part stood on his head on the road. So we'll, we'll see. Maybe for a young goaltender too, there's a little bit less pressure playing playing on the road because you don't have that you know weight of the world on your shoulders. I don't really know, but we're going to see. It's going to be fun to watch that one. Yeah, you just gotta you gotta hope the, that a minder can clear his mind uh, after letting in that second goal because it really mm-hmm. seemed like that did affect him. Oh yeah, um, as it would any goalie. Um, Either but, way, we're, uh, we're spoiled. We get a game seven of the Stanley Cup finals. It's going to be fantastic. That. That's, that's always fun. Uh, I did take the opportunity the other night at game four post game doing some uh, live hits um, down on the down the court after the game. And, you know, there's a lot of Toronto media there and a couple of TSN guys were walking by and I had met them at the at the media game prior to. So they said hello. And they're like, oh, we think this one, you think this one's over? I think this is over. I think it's in the bag. They're talking. He goes, it's our turn now. It's our turn. And one of the guys said, uh, we haven't had one in 25 years. You guys had two here over the last two years, three over the whatever. And uh, I go, yeah, you guys should take it because you're not going to see a cup for the next 25 years either. And that dug to their core. Got them. Um, because all you need to do is tell Canadians that they're bad oh, at yeah. hockey. And they and get that mad. really, really affects their psyche. They get big um, mad. But that is the uh, that is the attempt at a uh, at a transition to the NBA Finals here. I like that. That was a good transition. Uh, as we, you're you're as very we good approach, at transitions. I know you're, you, you're a I, pro. You literally are a pro. It is your I appreciate job. that. You're good at transitions. <laughs> I, uh, I I I do uh, thank you for for the compliment there. Oh. But um, no, let's uh, let's dig into this NBA Finals. Uh, we're approaching. Depending on when you're listening to this, if you're listening to it today, which is Monday, correct? Yeah, uh, we that are is approaching true. a do or die. I was that was me trying to figure it out as I was talking. I, I'm um, aware. I know you by now. We're approaching a do or die game five in the NBA Finals. Uh, mm-hmm. The Warriors on the brink of elimination here, down three one. I don't know if anyone saw this coming, despite the injuries, but uh, here we are, headed to Toronto with uh, with the championship and 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 the season on the line. Um, it appears that Kevin Durant may give it a go tonight. He's officially listed as questionable. He practiced yesterday. He was seen walking out of the practice court to a closed practice today. No media allowed in either of those sessions. So we don't really know what Kevin Durant's going to be out there. But in a do-or-die situation, I believe I said it last week on the podcast, if he doesn't give it a go, then you got to believe that there was some Achilles injury yeah. there. Um, if not, uh, perhaps it was a calf. But it looks like he might push it here um, and, and at least try and space the floor, give them another thing to look at tonight. But uh Either way, it's Game 5 coming your way tonight, and um, I, I really think that we're going to see a different Warriors team tonight, uh, a Warriors team that we're used to seeing, but at the, sa- uh, at the same time, that's what I've been saying for the last few, um, mm-hmm. and it just hasn't come to fruition. We saw 
one half of basketball where they look dominant and defensively engaged, then they came out flat. Tonight they're going to have to put together 48 minutes of really good basketball because Toronto looks like a team that's squarely in the zone. And speaking of settings and going on the road and having to steal one, mm-hmm. Toronto's going to be on fire tonight as a, as a setting. Yeah, that, it's it's going to be. I mean, games one and two, we were, we're absolutely electric. Game seven of that Western or Eastern Conference final was, was wild as well. So tonight in Toronto should be as cool of an environment as we've probably seen up there. Now, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about game five uh, was it game four because i four, yeah. like i mentioned before the podcast i was a i was a sleepy guy uh mm-hmm. during that game and, and ended up falling asleep a little bit early but you, you look at the box score was this just the Kawhi game because you're looking at you, pascal siakam had 19 who's six of 14 shooting van vliet had 20 off the bench but you look at that other than i mean no one was really doing much kyle lowry just gave you 10 but you look at Kawhi's line; that was thirty-six, eleven for twenty-two. He was, you know, five and nine from three. Was this just was this Kawhi being Kawhi? Was this his his typical it's always, performance? It's always hard to tell. Kawhi could go out there and have sixteen and sixteen, and it feels like he had ten and five. Mm-hmm. Kawhi could score thirty; it feels like he scored twenty. Kawhi could score twenty, and it feels like he scored forty. You mm-hmm. never really know until you look at the box score, what Kawhi had, you just know that he made a huge difference. Yeah. Yes, this was a Kawhi Leonard game, but so too have been the games before it. He is unbelievable right now. He's playing with an unbelievable efficiency. He's essentially more or less telling defenders what he's going to do and then go do it. He takes three dribbles, he pulls up, he knocks it down. In, in this game of advanced analytics where People are devaluing the mid-range jumper. He's valuing it. Kawhi's going to those spots because he knows that's where the defense is going to be soft. Mm -hmm. He's going to the short wing and knocking down jumpers. He's pulling up at the elbow and hitting little baby jumpers. He's doing everything for that team right now. He's rebounding the basketball. But the thing that he's most importantly doing for the Toronto Raptors is he is setting the tempo internally like in that locker room Mm -hmm. everyone has taken on a little bit of the Kawhi Leonard awkward silence they come off the court and I was walking I was standing in the tunnel as the Raptors came off the court there wasn't a smile in the group there wasn't a high five there was just an air of check that box onto the next one Mm -hmm. let's celebrate when it's all said and done and we'll see if they're going to do that I I just can't put my thumb on this team but Kawhi Leonard 100% 100% is the heartbeat of this team. And, you know, hypothetically speaking, if this thing goes to six, goes to seven, if they find a way to screw up and drop it, uh, it's going to be even more heartbreaking for Toronto because win or lose, you still have to assume that Kawhi Leonard's gone next year. And he has really become the heartbeat of that team, of that city as a basketball market. And even if they win, you know, great, hang the banner, but where do you go from there as a franchise if Kawhi Leonard does leave? If he you, leaves, yeah, they're still riding Danny this Green. high for a long you do time. Have, you do have Kyle Lowry. I mean, you do have other guys, but without Kawhi Leonard, let's say something, God forbid, happened to Kawhi tonight, the Warriors immediately become favorites. I'm sorry. There's just not enough. I mean, and they have played great team basketball, but I think that the glue and and the common denominator to all their success has been Kawhi Leonard. I guess to answer your question in a really long form. No, I, I, I that's you put that very very well, and I it, it's weird because this is pretty much the same exact team that we've seen these past years. The ones that couldn't get it done, it was just substituting essentially Kawhi Leonard for Demar Derozan. Obviously, you throw Danny Green on that roster too, and I don't think you can uh, undersell his impact. Now, he only had three, yeah. I think it was in game five, but he's as good of a shooter when he's on as there is. So he, he's made an impact on both sides. And they were before, in huge but, moments. Is, yeah. Is, is it. yeah. So I guess I, we're both, I think, expecting to see KD tonight in some capacity because having him on that floor, where it's just the threat of him putting up a shot, whatever is better than not. But if he's not fully healthy, whatever, I guess my question to you here is the Warriors win tonight if – what if what like what what the has Warriors, to the Warriors win tonight if the Warriors win tonight if Steph and Clay combined for fifty plus points, which they did in Game Four. They turn over the they turn over the ball less than thirteen times, and they give up less than one hundred and five points. I think that they win with those circumstances. Okay. They need to play defense. 
They need to protect the ball, and they need their shooters to shoot. And if they do that, we will see a game six at Oracle Arena, which brings me to a point that it was so odd walking out of that building the other night or watching fans walk out of that building, not knowing if it's the last time that they'd ever see the Warriors play at Oracle. Mm -hmm. They're making the move to Chase Arena across the Bay Bridge into San Francisco next year. And there was such an awkward air in the building, possibly knowing that that was the last time that they saw their Warriors play in Oakland. And I know we don't really have an understanding of it in the Midwest, but having worked out here now, there is a huge difference. And I know it's only a few miles over the bridge, but the town, as they refer to Oakland, has such a pride in the Golden State Warriors and them you know, being their baby, them being mm-hmm. theirs. It's almost... Think of the black hole, but in a basketball aspect. Like, yeah. it, there is a grittiness, a griminess to Oakland that isn't going to be there at a beautiful, new, shining stadium on yeah. the water in San Francisco. It feels like the end of an era, regardless of win, lose, or draw. You know, it, it just it was really awkward the other night watching these fans leave just hoping that they'd get a game six so they could say goodbye properly win or lose in a game six yeah quite, uh, honestly it was awkward odd seeing those reactions those fans because i guess just over the last however many years it's been now four or five years we've never really seen that i mean yeah, yeah the warriors have lost games in oracle they've lost playoff games in or- oracle with the exception yeah. of that nba finals loss to lebron like there's been two like, that game and game five or game four were really the only two times in the last five years, you can actually think of like people walking out of that arena stunned and not in a good mood, not thrilled, not happy. Yeah, last year, Western Conference Finals against the Rockets is the only thing that comes to mind personally because, um, you know, there were touch and go moments where they were down three mm-hmm. two and they did lose a game at home. And yeah, um, but but you make a good point there. It's um, you know they've gotten accustomed to winning, and you know a lot of times it's hard to deal with a different outcome once you do get accustomed to winning and we'll see if there's a game six i don't know how tonight goes i don't know how it shakes out but um i'd love to see a finite finish in that building i'd love to see those fans um and that uh, that city get a proper goodbye rather than any an unknown being the ending of that uh, of that building i'd also just love to see a game seven in toronto i think that'd be a pretty awesome that'd be environment wild. um that'd be absolutely wild. it's i mean i guess one last thing before we wrap up here on the finals you, you read stuff about you know pe- people's post-game articles stuff like that recaps and, and some of the things i kept coming across was you know when the warriors and signed durant paid them all that money this is kind of the risk that they were taking and we finally started it's been the first time really in the playoffs in, in significant times, but this is the first time we've really actually seen them without that depth, the, the sacrificing the depth to have KD that we, we haven't really seen before. And I think mm-hmm. it does mean that there is a decision time for them come, uh, you know, come July when they're, when it's free agency, when KD is also obviously has to make his own decision too. But do you want to keep loading up on stars and sacrificing your depth, depth roll, rolling the dice, you're not going to get hurt. Or do you want to take that, 30 million whatever the hell it's going to end up being and and spread that around your bench and get some guys that you know while you might not have the firepower of Kevin Durant you might have three or four guys coming off the bench that might be able to help you out a little more significantly so yeah that's that's really this the decision that Bob Myers has to make it's a a nice decision to have it, it I'd be very interested to see where his head is at in terms of splitting up the Splash Brothers and keeping KD for depth keeping both and completely burning any depth or KD making the decision to leave and then he doesn't have to make a decision. And then yeah. you can go get depth around your original core of Draymond, Steph, and Clay. Um, I'm thinking I, I that's just, what happens, but it'll be interesting to see what, what kind of how that unfolds. I was at a certain time as well, but just watching Kevin Durant um, operate I- inside of this injury and you know all the question marks around it, it's led me to believe that he loves being there. He loves these guys. I, I he loves agree. I've group. got the same exact feeling from that, from what we said. It might he's just be been, for the cameras, but he's been there. Like every time. Yeah, but Katie's Katie's never been like, a Katie's never been a calculated for the cameras guy yeah, the way LeBron has. True. LeBron knows when there's a camera on him. He knows how to manipulate message. He knows when to high five. He knows when to ignore. He knows when to do all those things. KD to me isn't 
that level of manipulator. Mm-hmm. Um, KD to me looks like if I'm going to follow Steph Curry up the tunnel pregame, it's because I want Steph Curry to have the night of his life tonight. Um, now, I think I've said it before on here, KD could have a decision in his mind right now and that could change the day before he makes his decision. He's also that type of guy. He's uh, he, he's a very um, impressionable and uh, I don't believe that decision-making is long-term all the time for him. It might happen in a very short amount of time deciding to stay or go. I, I, if you asked me or if you asked him, I think that decision has yet to be made. Um, do I believe that the outcome of this series has any bearing on it? No, but it will be a variable in him making that decision. Um, KD's decision to come to Golden State, uh, a lot of people looked at as a soft decision. So if he's making the decision for others, he'll leave to go prove something. If he's making the decision for himself, he'll stay because they'll still be the best team in the Western Conference next year if he does. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, um, that, that's a very good way of putting it. So... We shall see. But tonight, game five, a do or die for the Warriors. And uh, hopefully you don't fall asleep during this one, Matt. This one I'll be awake for, I promise you. I might be at the White Sox <laughs> game, but I'll be awake for it. Northern California, the place to be right now, Matt. you got the NBA Finals and our Nations Open this week. The U.S. Open uh, kicking off on Thursday. Do you but get to go out there? The, I will be out there either Thursday or Friday. So I'll get to do one I'll get to do one day out there. Um, you are not credentialed and it is very hard. Just, it is very hard to get onto seventeen mile drive without a credential. Just, so, write, uh, just write my name on yours so it's like Joe Musso and Matt Rooney. Uh, with under it I am twelve, like your birth certificate. Okay, which just help me out. A, yeah, no, I got you. Yeah, I, I didn't you. get the yeah, joke. Well, I'm sorry. You've never what movie is that from? Um uh, which one? Oh, uh, what's it? Uh, Bad News Bears? Or what's the one where the kid, the pitcher's like, oh, oh, no, no, yeah, I know, he's I smoking you. the yeah, cigarettes. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's. Uh, and he said, "I am twelve." Benchwarmers, I think it's called. Benchwarmers. Yeah, I am twelve. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, I'm picking but, up. I uh, but yeah, U.S. Open this week at Pebble, historic venue. All the names. Um, we can only hope that the names are there on Sunday. It's going to be a blast to watch, and uh, lucky enough to go there and get some coverage one day this week. Um, Matt, what are, uh, what are your eyes going to? Because like I said, storylines abound. Uh, Phil still searching for the illustrious fourth and final uh, leg of the Grand Slam. Tiger playing really good golf. Rory coming off a 61 and a win at the RBC Heritage. Where, where are your eyes going on Thursday? I mean, it's going to be hard to not have them on you know, the two probably biggest names in golf right now, Brooks Kepka and Tiger. Um, mm-hmm. I know Rory shot the 61 and, and won that tournament by what was it, seven shots up in Canada, but mm-hmm. Brooks is on as dominant of a major run as we've seen since Tiger. Six, no, not to interrupt, a 61 <laughs> with two bogeys in the last three holes, may I add. Choker. Um, <laughs> but, and also Tiger, you know, see what he can do. And then I, I'm also interested in, in seeing Tony Finau this weekend. He's actually, when we make those picks, he's, he was going to be my, my darker horse pick, given um, where his odds are. Um, but I, I, I want to see what he does. He's been better in majors in U.S., especially last year's U.S. Open. He was, you know, right up there with with everybody at at, uh, at Shinnecock. And obviously, this is an easy answer. I'm just I'm looking forward to seeing the course, man. Like, yeah, they haven't been back. They obviously go to Pebble every year for the pro am, but like, I don't tune into the pro am and watch it all that closely. It's just kind of on in the background. The U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. I'm so excited to see this course really shine and and be at its absolute best. The most magnificent meeting of land and sea, as oh, they call it. Oh, and, and um, to see if Patrick Cantlay gets stuck in the rough too often and then cries about it. Yeah, the that rough too. is going to be lush. I will. Uh, I'll have reports for you. I'll, I'll have rough updates for you. I would you. love that. Can you? You know, why don't you take over the Moose and Runes account and then live tweet uh, rough updates for us? Rough update. Okay, mm-hmm. we'll we'll update uh, rough lanes. I'll go yeah. out there just with a ruler because mm-hmm. that, that's that's good content right yeah, there. Yeah, I think so. Um, take a picture of at- the ruler in the grass. <laughs> It's angles. At, we both know you're good at, at angles. <laughs> it all depends how they set the course up. It, what what the relation to par is going to be in this championship. I'm looking at uh, past championships there. You, let's just call it U.S. Opens because mm-hmm. there have been there has been a PGA there. But uh, uh, U.S. Open in 1972, Jack Nicklaus won at two over par. Uh, it was a three stroke victory uh, in 1982. Tom Watson won it at six under. Uh, in 92, Tom Kite won it at three under. Uh, in 2000, Tiger Woods, perhaps the greatest tournament uh, performance yeah. of all time, at 12 under. 
And then no one Graham else was Mc- close. <laughs> Graham McDowell having won it in 2010, a Father's Day moment. Uh, I remember that one. He won it at even par. Where do you think we're going to be in relation to par at the end of the week? I mean, I think you're going to kind of see closer to that even par one under two under lane than you are obviously Tigers 12 or even, you know, that, that six you were saying. I, I think birdies are going to be hard to grab out there. They can make this course incredibly hard. And like you said, that, that rough they can let go as, as much as they want. It's the mm-hmm. U.S. Open, so they will. Um, and quite honestly, the last couple of U.S. Opens, I know players have complained about it, but they've gone out of their way to make this as difficult as possible on the players. And I don't think yeah. the course is going to set up as, as difficult maybe as it has in the past. But the USGA, is, ever, you know, ever since Aaron Hills, like they don't want to be – I think they felt embarrassed. I, I don't think they want to be embarrassed. And, and we saw that last year at Shinnecock. We saw them try to do a little bit of Chambers Bay too with the greens. Um, I don't think we want to see them – they don't want to see, you know, double digit under par so i think they're going to make it about as difficult as they can you're going to see three under four under probably win the championship my issue though and i agree with what you just said there i think it's going to be in in the three under four the, under the low single as well but the usga's issue and not to dig too deep and get too inside baseball here but the usga's issue in these past u.s opens is because they were trying to set the course up for a score rather than trying to set a course up for a level of difficulty. 100%. Let these guys score as they want or score as the elements are going to dictate. Stop doing it for a score because that's when you get to the comical levels of um, stint meters. That's where, you know, that's where you end up getting into a, a really hairy situation in um, towing the line of competitiveness. I think that, if the USGA screws up Pebble Beach, divest. Just completely scrap it. The whole thing. The organization needs to go. It's Pebble frickin' Beach. You cannot screw up a setup at Pebble Beach for a US Open. This is this is a huge moment for the USGA. And I know for people who aren't golf fans the way that we are, um, this might not make a ton of sense. But at the same time, it is the most historic American landscape of golf that there is. And if you find a way to screw this up, you need some new people atop the, atop the USGA. It's that simple. No, that's a good point. And seeing the whole, we've seen them not have the greatest history with some courses in the past, but if you can't get Pebble Reach right, you can't get anything right, I think is what you're saying. And I kind of agree with yeah. you there. Uh, Matt, give me a couple names here. I, I know that uh, you mentioned who your eyes are going to be going to, but give me a, give me a favorite you like and then a not-so-favorite you like. I mean, this is going to be easy, and I'm sorry if this is a layup, but my favorite that I like is Brooks because he's also, he's, he's kind of getting to the point where I'm not going to pick against yeah, him until he shows me him. otherwise. Um, and then I like Tony Finau. Like I said, I, I, I think he's played pretty well in majors recently, played really well in last year's U.S. Open, just kind of fell mm-hmm. short. He's played well in the big pressure situations. I like him there at plus five, uh, plus 5,000. Uh, and I, I like Webb Simpson in these types of spots too. I know he's not the longest hitter, but he puts the ball in the fairway. He, he can putt pretty well. So I, I, I'm a Webb Simpson fan when it comes to the the big tournaments that you need to be in the fairway type tournaments. Yeah, I think that this tournament is really going to favor a guy who can keep it obviously in the fairway. You don't have to be the longest um, to win a Pebble Beach U.S. Open, but uh, you know length is obviously always going to help make birdies if that if that um, number is somewhere in relation to par three over three under somewhere in that range, it's not going to take a big hitter to get there. It mm-hmm. can take a Molinari. And I know Molinari's, I have a way of uh, picking favorites as my long shots, but I won't do that here. Um, I, I definitely think Molinari's one to keep an eye on. I like Fleetwood is one to keep an eye on. You make a great point about, uh, about uh, Brooks Kepka being a guy who you just, can't pick against at this point. So um, I do like those names. I think that when it comes to driving accuracy, you can always count on Zach Johnson to be in the conversation. And I mm-hmm. think Zach Johnson's a guy who's fair to call a long shot at this point because yeah. he hasn't done a ton of winning in the last five years. So um, I'd call him my long shot. And as for the favorites, Tigers? Tiger's driven the ball with great accuracy he has, this year. He really and, has. and whether that be whether that be him keeping the driver in the bag, I think that if Tiger can find fairways, he's going to be squarely in the middle of this one come Sunday. Yeah, I was going to say that's a name. We, we shockingly have been talking about the U.S. Open for five, ten minutes there and hadn't said the name Tiger Woods once. But thank you for bringing that up because I, I, I think that's a good point. Um, he's been 
great with the driver really since he came back from that back injury even even last year towards the end of it he figured it out and if he can keep that ball in the fairway um it's it's just going to come down to what it has in all the tournaments that he's kind of been mm-hmm. in been around the lead it's it's making those 10 to 12 footers for birdies and, and not making par or making 12 those 10 to 12 foot footers for par excuse me instead of making bogey that's that's just that's what it comes down to for him also, uh, bonus bonus pick here. Okay. If Henrik Stenson's got the three wood going, also keep an that's, eye on that. That's him. a very good name. That's a very good yeah, name. I like that because he can get that thing out there. Yeah. Um, Matt, you, you let me know. Uh, you let me know if you got your eye on any merch. All right, I'll take care of you. Yeah. Well, you you know my tastes. Um, just if you see something I like, I might like. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be opposed to you buying it for me and sending it. You. You got it, kid. Yeah. I it. I lost your um, Venmo though, so don't expect anything. Oh, okay. I got you. Yeah, I just, think I still do owe you a T-shirt for uh, the Make Sundays Great Again. Yeah, you, you still know, owe that, me a shirt. There you go. That that T-shirt that you know I really can't wear out in public. But thank you. Why can't you wear it in public? It's politically charged. However, you feel about oh, politics. Come Pro- on. It is. Get you can't. Here. You can't wear a Make Anything Great Again shirt because of where the the phrase stemmed from. You know. I it's, disagree. It's Get it's a. Get it's a lounger. It's Cali- a lounger. California, it's a, California's gotten to your head, Joe. It's an in the comfort of your own home. Okay, Cali- California's gotten to your head a little bit. I'm I'm out here trying to climb media ladders. I can't be making political statements you're just not, yet. Okay, you're, you're making statements about Tiger. <laughs> Matt, let's uh, let's dive into some segments here. Uh, we got some buy or sell. Did we get any mailbag this week? Because if not. I'm yep. challenging oh, we, Moose we and Rune's listeners. We do have one. Okay. We got a mailbag. Okay. We'll get that. Okay. I'm not going we'll to take ourselves. them to task. I'm still going to challenge the Moose and Rune's listeners to step up okay. and send us some buy or sells. And also, we, we haven't gotten many rankings on the Oceans movies. So let's get uh, on that. We're, we're still yeah, calling you out on that. On that. We, we, we want to talk about the Oceans movies. Get on that. Okay. But no, we do have a buy or sell for after, or excuse me, a mailbag for after buy or sell. Episode 200, full Oceans breakdown. There it is. We'll get George Clooney. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. I like to buy 500 shares of Animotion Incorporated. Animotion is up an eighth after plunging 75 points this morning. Hey, cuz, heard you having money problems. Sell, sell, sell. They're all selling and buy, buy, buy. I can't believe you put your money in that Centrex. You could have invested in my rollout tie dispenser. You can get a good look at a T-bone by sticking your head up a butcher's ass, but then, no, it's got to be your bowl. I declare bankruptcy! Matt, you want to start us off here? I do. I, I, we're going to go baseball here because we haven't got into that yet. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've been paying attention out there how much the news is, is really hit it out in California, Joe. we got two pitchers, one on, on both side, sides of town here, mm-hmm. um, going through unbelievable stretches. Those are, those are Kyle Hendricks up on the north side. Who I'll, I'll just read off his stats really quickly. In his last eight, he's 7-1, and one, got an ERA of 1.99. Hitters are hitting under 200 against them. Is that uh, good? That that's not bad. <laughs> um, and he let's uh, let's go over to Lucas Giolito now, who in his last seven has has been even better than that, if you can believe it. He's got an ERA under one, opponent's batting average under one fifty. He's seven and zero in his last seven starts, uh, fifty nine to ten strikeout to walk ratio. Possibly the best, most dramatic turnaround in the history of pitchers uh, in baseball whatever i don't really know so my question is buy or sell joe we have a top three finisher in the cy young voting on both sides of town not going to say win because that's going to be it's tough to predict both and then both leagues have pitchers pitching very well especially uh mm-hmm. ryu out there in la but with top three time. but top top three finisher in the cy young because that's usually where they start calling people finalists i, I buy it because if if both of these guys can you know, extend this, extrapolate these numbers over the rest of the season and continue to produce the way that they are. There's no way that they're not. So I mm-hmm. guess what you're asking me is, can both of these guys keep this going? What pace can um, these guys keep it up at, basically? Yeah, like these, this, the numbers they have right now, they're both not only finalists, they're arguably winners. We've seen Kyle Hendricks put a season together mm-hmm. uh, before, so uh, not necessarily a Cy Young season, but we've seen him pitch an entire season and have great success. So I'm not worried about him. Um, When you talk about Giolito, the way he's thrown the ball as of late indicates that he has top-end fantastic stuff um, to go out there and do it. Now, consistency is a question until you're consistent. So Mm -hmm. let's see how consistent he can be over a three- to four-month sample size. Mm -hmm. But if he can do this 
uh, for the rest of the season or for any sort of extended period of time throughout his career, he'll be in Cy Young conversations, not just this year, but for the years to come. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't I think it's hard to believe that you're going to see his ERA be at .88 for the rest of the year. Um, mm-hmm. But if he is half as good as he's been in this stretch, he's, he's absolutely going to be up there. He very well might be starting the All-Star game for the American League. So it's been a wild turnaround for him. And Hendricks, it's just it's so weird because like how, with how good he is, it's not like electric stuff. It's not he's blowing you away. He's not even the most exciting pitcher when he does it. It's very Greg Maddox-esque, very Mark Burley-esque, just give me the ball, I'm going to throw it. He knows how to pitch, and that's why I don't think he gets necessarily a lot of the pomp and circumstance that you know a lot of these high-end pitchers like a Chris Sale do because his stuff isn't electric, but he's just so efficiently good. It's, it's really fun to watch, yeah. and Giolito's kind of becoming that way, even though that fastball is up around 94, 95, 96. He's putting that fastball, putting that change up, working that slider and curveball, putting it exactly where James McCann calls for it. So these are two of the it, funnest pitchers to watch for very different reasons. I don't think it does Hendricks any favors either that he looks like a history teacher. That's no, probably well, why. Well, he is the professor. A lot of people, a lot of people will uh, underestimate him. But uh, no, I think that both of those guys are doing well by their ball clubs. Matt, um, uh, I got one for you here. Go what do you got? Uh-huh. I was just going to okay. say, unfortunately, we got Sox Cubs coming up in a couple of weeks. It does not look like we're lining up to see a pitching matchup between these two, which is uh, yeah, which is too bad. That'd be fun TV. Go on, uh, Matt. We're going to keep things in the MLB, uh, but we're going to take it out west here. Uh, I know you've probably seen it by now, as hopefully our viewers have. Uh, if you haven't, get on the Twitter. But uh, Madison Bumgarner getting in his feelings again yesterday, gave up a home run deep into the bay. Now, it was hot out there, and the bay ball was flying. No excuses. That ball would have been out in any weather, in any ballpark, but uh, gave up a home run to uh, Max Muncy, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. Gave up a home run to Max Muncy. Muncy didn't even pimp it. Muncy dropped the bat, looked at it for a couple seconds, and then slowly made his way up the line. Even but when he was Madison, looking at it, he started kind of walking, too. Like, it wasn't Mad- just Yeah, stood. there was no pause at the plate, but Madison Bumgarner, um, as Madison Bumgarner does, got a little bit pissed off and um, started barking at him, telling him to get up the line. Uh, Muncy responded uh, by saying after the game, hey, if he doesn't want me to look at it, go get it out of the ocean. So uh, a fantastic Which is an all-time line there. Line. A fantastic line from Muncie, but uh, Mad Bum responded in kind in his post-game presser. Um, so this is more at the root of what my buyer sell is going to be this part. Yeah. So he said, you know, guys are being told to be themselves. The game is moving that direction. We're going to see more of this, but you cannot expect me to not be myself. If a guy wants to do that out of the box, I'm going to bark at him. I'm quick to fight, he said. So buy or sell mad bum's point and his response to uh this entire situation well i don't really buy it because like if being yourself is yelling at people for not doing anything wrong and trying to fight people then you're not a very good person you're not a very good teammate you're not someone to be around if being yourself is getting excited when you hit a home run looking at it for half a second and then starting your trot that's that's not harming anybody that's not doing anything bad like that's there's nothing wrong with that if being yourself is you know getting excited flipping the bat up while you're jogging that's not harming anybody but when, if you're getting to the point where you're challenging others and trying to get you know people fight you get benches clearing all that kind of stuff i don't buy that i, I sell that if that's who you are then you're just an asshole right am i am i, oh, off, I, I, I no no no, no you're that? Hitting like, the nail I, on the head. I, I, I'm, I'm all letting, for I'm, you. I'm all for players being themselves to an extent, and mm-hmm. that's not a good, I guess, extent to go to. That's just being an asshole, and nobody likes yeah. assholes. So, Matt, you know exactly how I feel about Madison Bumgarner. I do. You're I've, not a uh, fan. I've documented it on this podcast uh, many times before. So this is not out of character. This is who Madison Bumgarner is. It's who he's always going to be. Um, it just. I just it's a it's a competitive game. Now we can get into this in depth, and I'm sure we will at some point, and I'm sure we have before. But the whole unwritten rules of the game uh, need to be done away with to an extent. Now the unwritten rules that protect players physically, you know, uh, the neighborhood rule being gone uh, at second base. So mm-hmm. the unwritten rules of sliding and keeping your spikes down and all those things, those are great because they protect players. The unwritten rules that protect egos need to go 
because no one cares about your ego if you just gave up a 450-foot home run. I'm sorry you got your feelings hurt, but don't let a guy mash off of you. That's the, that's the quickest way to protect your ego. And if you do, deal with the consequence. Now, if a guy's taking 20 minutes to get around the bases for no good reason, yeah, bark that's at him a different. little bit. Yeah. But this, this situation did not warrant the response from Madison Bumgarner. Uh, I think that's that's very well put. One unwritten rule I want to ask you about, and we've talked about this mm-hmm. before. I, I, I want to say on podcast pass, and I was going to bring it up on a buy or sell a couple weeks ago, but we didn't get to it. Um, it was in the minor leagues, I think it was last week, I, I can't remember which two teams, but a dude was carrying a no-hitter into the ninth, and it was like 5 nothing. It was like a one nothing ball game. Yeah. And dude laid down a bunt. One of the batters laid down a bunt to break up the no-hitter. That's an unwritten rule. Is that one you're are, – are you okay with that unwritten rule? Is that no, one of the ones get you're rid okay of with? that rule. Now, oh, is see, it I'm, Bush I'm with you. I, I'm, I, if you want a bunt to get on, I'm fine with it. Is it Bush League if it's the ninth inning and you're down seven? Yeah, like what are you laying down a bunt for here? You, you're being a jerk. I'm going to have some words with you. Mm-hmm. But if it's a three-run ball game and I'm a bunt, a bloop, and a bomb away from tying up this ball game, I'm a base runner. Yeah. I'm trying to I'm trying to get on base. Like I'm sorry, I'm not gonna protect your no hitter. And Matt, the thing no, that's lost you. on this the things that's lost on this in that exact in that specific scenario, it was a combined no hitter. It wasn't oh, really? even a single pitcher's no hitter. Then that it was a team combined no it it was the most ridiculous reason for benches to clear and for there to be a brawl. This game is so antiquated in the way it polices itself, and it's another reason why people aren't watching anymore. Yeah. You got something for me? Or no, uh, it's that my was turn. my, oh, it's that my, was my yeah, question. Good call. Yeah. Good call. Good call. <laughs> Hand up. That's on me. Um, the Bears had their 100th, you know, the centennial uh, celebration. Mm-hmm. Like a blast whatever blast. you call of it. Uh, I, I was not there, but, you know, obviously saw a bunch of the social media stuff that came out. It looked like a lot of fun. I think my favorite moment of the weekend, Joe, I want to ask you about it too, was, was, was Jim McMahon willing down the, uh, the headband and sunglasses to Mitch Trubisky. So I just want, it's simple, yeah. buy or sell Mitch earning the headband and sunglasses from Jim McMahon. I completely buy it. That's yeah. a blessing. Um, He's got to wear the headband under the helmet now, right? From Jimmy Mac. No, 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 no. no. Like, I would. Maybe, it's, maybe you hang it in the locker and you throw it on after wins and club dub and stuff like that. But um, – I want Mitch – this is my point. The, the only reason I would sell it a little bit is because I want Mitch to be himself. I want Mitch to be better than Jim McMahon. He yeah. has to be better than Jim McMahon in today's NFL to win a championship. We can't just win with this defense. So, yes, I love the blessing. I love the symbolism of our only championship uh, Super Bowl quarterback willing down his – his rightful heir to the throne and giving his blessing. I love all of that, but we need Mitch Trubisky to be far better than Jim McMahon. I I think that's very well said. Did you get anything willed down to you at Wesleyan, Joe, by anybody? Um, Ash did give me Martin Seisel's number of the year after he had just broken every single record in the record book. After I was promised number six, I rolled up day one of freshman year with 81 on my locker. So uh, get Norm on the phone. Um, Still unhappy about that. I requested so I number a, 50 every year and never got it. Oh, well, I, I made sure to get six sophomore year and then and then held on to that bad boy, and that's when, you know, that's when history was written. Yeah, just but, took, uh, everything took off from there. Just, yeah. Um, no, I was given – People still speak about it. I was given Sisal's number, and then I don't know if Dayton had any hand in it, but I was given the A1 spot in the locker room. I was given the the, the top locker right under the, uh, uh, right under the stereo. The speaker, so I was kind yeah. of – I was, I was willed. I was willed speaker duties. Um, there you, go. you were you were good at that. You, you were good at that. Like, you tried to keep everyone happy. You did to keep everyone. You, happy. you mixed it up a little bit. Yeah, I like that. You did a good job. Uh, Matt, buy or sell? We're gonna take it to the clay here. Um, Big ten. Rafael Nadal. Rafael Nadal um, having just won yesterday his twelfth French Open. The king of clay reigns supreme again. Buy or sell? Rafael Nadal at the French Open is the most dominant single player in a single championship in the history of all sports. Uh, I have to buy that. I mean, not only is it, it's it's not just some random tournament like the Valero Open or something that, that a golfer has incredible luck at. It's, it's the French Open, for starters, and it's mm-hmm. a tournament that, you know, we've talked about it. He's, you know, what I think you said 33 years old, which means he's probably only played in, I, tennis guys, I think, start a little bit younger, so what, 18, 19, but if he's played in it 15 times, he's won it 12 at that efficiency at that rate. 
That's mm-hmm. unbelievable. I, I knew he was good in the French Open because growing up, that was always when Federer was all that you know dominant. That was always the one tournament Dahl seemed to kind of be able to beat him at. I had no idea it was you know twelve out of fifteen. So I think that's by far the most impressive, at least off the top of my head. I clearly did not do my research here. Uh, <laughs> the most impressive uh, single performance, not single performance, but performance in a single event, single venue that I can possibly think of. And it, it's hard to believe that 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 seems like one of those records, whatever you want to call it, that are pretty untouchable and might not get broken ever. Yeah, I, I just unbelievable numbers. It's almost a foregone conclusion that a. Um, Unless, you know, barring some crazy upset, he just made slight work in straight sets of uh, Federer in the uh, in the semis. He just works the clay. It's it's so dominant that I, I just can't even think of another player I don't even, going to any given event being that dominant. I don't under, like, I'm sure there's something behind it, but I don't play tennis really. So I, I just don't understand how different surfaces are, like make the game so much The, the, ball, the ball reacts to it differently as to your feet. Like he had a drop shot yesterday where he, where he slid a good seven feet to make this nice little drop shot. Okay. And when you put that back spin on a ball, it's going to react to the clay totally. It just kind of dies yeah. on the clay. It doesn't bounce as much. So. Okay. You can really um, manipulate it a little and, bit, yeah. and almost like a almost like a seasoned veteran on the on the racquetball court, you put it in a spot and it's unreturnable. Yeah, um, yeah, it's uh, it's completely different. But um, you know, I don't. I, I, I that's as far as my understanding of it goes. Like I don't know the nuance of it either. How were you on the racquetball courts at Wesleyan? Now that you bring up racquetball, were you? Uh, we racked up some wins. Yeah. Um, Coach Murray did embarrass me a time or two. I think but, he embarrassed uh, everybody a time or two. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that guy ever knowing your angles. So, um, yeah, but uh, I was all right. I was all right. I was all right. All right. I got no, uh, no, no Metro Media Jam performances. Let's no, just uh, say well, that's, that's, it's hard to top that. We know. Yeah. Um, yeah. We don't have any highlight tapes of Joe's racquetball performances, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, stir some up though. Yeah, the shirk, the shirk center uh, <laughs> security cameras. Yeah, <laughs> request the tapes from uh, from. April of what was it? Oh, 2010, I think, was probably my peak of racquetball. Call, call the f- so- sophomore year would be 11, 2011. Call the sophomore SK that's on her work study at the shirk desk and ask her to, <laughs> to pick up those security <laughs> tapes for you. Um, all right, let's move on here. I got one more for you. It's, it's okay. the 30th anniversary of Major League, you know, the movie, one of the, yes. the all time great uh, sports movies, whatever we've talked about. That. I'm not going to ask you to rank that among baseball movies. But I, what I do want to ask you is to rank where Rick Vaughn, or I, I guess I'm by or sell, Rick Vaughn is the best fictional, best movie pitcher of all time. Buy or sell that. So, yeah, rank, rank me your, if he's not number one, who is? I think he's my number one. The only knock on him is he's coming in in closing situations. You need a front end guy before you get to Ricky. Mm-hmm. Um, Ricky had his stretches as a starter, too. Other, yeah. Other um, other names that come to mind, uh, Bull Durham was Nuke. Um, mm-hmm. You had Nuke and Bull Durham, but he was a head case. You know, he had to settle Nuke down before he could, you know, really, uh, you know, really come to it. Jake, Jake Taylor had to had to really get in the Nuke's head um, for him to play well. Um, Steve Nebraska, you know, if you could never saw that me, movie, The Scout. If no, you never give saw. Me, if you give me Steve Nebraska and then. Ricky Vaughn out of the pen, you know, we're, we're winning a hundred plus games this season. I like um, that. But, but I think in terms of the character um, and the pitching ability, wild thing all day. Yeah. Uh, his, the the stuff is just electric and he's got the mindset for it too. I yeah. mean, he's got that crazy mindset that no one's going to beat him. I'm I, a big I, fan. I, Kenny Powers, no, I think you have to have in there. Kenny Powers, Ooh. he's a shooting star, but he had some electric yeah, I, stuff. See, I was, I was thinking movies and Kenny, Kenny Powers is in Kenny there. Powers, you know yeah. who else? We caught him towards the tail end of his career, but Chet Stedman from Rookie of the Year. Yeah, that man, that man was fantastic, and he kind of saw a flash of it at, at the end. Chet there. was washed. It, Chet, Chet was, was washed. washed, but you still saw a little bit of what he had left when he gave everything he had. So yep. I, I think Chet Stedman is is in there as well. But I think it, it's got to be Rick. It's got to be the you know, wild thing. You never know. You never know when Rowan Gardner's magic's going to wear off. So exactly. I, I don't take a chance to throw. I don't Gardner. trust him. I don't trust Henry. Gardenhoser. Yeah. Um, that's, Matt, that's probably my favorite subplot of that movie is the different names that he gets called. The different names, yeah. You did just jog my memory though. Now, um, uh, Odell Beckham was at Game Four, mm. sitting sitting courtside, looking like a million bucks in a Jim Brown jersey. If he really wants to win over the Cleveland crowd, you show up to camp day one. Ricky Vaughn, Ricky Vaughn jersey. That would 
game over. Honestly, like I think I'd be a Browns fan. Not <laughs> over the Bears, but that would make me like, all right, I'm counting on the Browns for two. Like they yeah. are they might be my number two. Fantastic. Uh, Matt, do we have mailbag? You said you have, you we said do. Mailbag? We have one more mailbag. Did you see? Uh, were you on? Twi- How often were you on Twitter last night, Joe? Because this was a tweet that went kind of viral last night. Uh, pretty regularly. Y- you might know what I'm getting at here, but but last night on Twitter, in front of all the world's eyes, to see Justin Bieber called out oh, yes, Tom yeah. Cruise in the mm-hmm. octagon. He wants him. He wants Holyfield. He wants mm-hmm. Tom Cruise. So my, my my brother Mike texted me this morning at 6:50 in the morning got out there early he he wanted that out there he wanted me to have it he said i know it's early and you're still sleeping but mailbag for today bieber versus cruz in the octagon he said octagon so who you got in the octagon um 100 doesn't matter the octagon the boxing ring whatever your combat sport of choice 1000 percent my money's going on tom cruise and i'll tell you absolutely he's crazy Now now tom cruise is a baby human he's five foot five but Biebs is only like 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, They're both baby humans. This is a this is a strawweight matchup for the ages. But not only is Tom Cruise crazy and has the power of Scientology behind him. Good point. But Tom Cruise does most of his own stunts committing to his roles in doing training. If Tom Cruise has four weeks to get ready for this fight, Tom Cruise will be a top-tier jiu-jitsu man by that time. I think Bieber's made a, made a critical error here in running his mouth to a psychopath human being who would dismantle him on any fighting landscape. Yeah, I don't know why he did this. Is there is there some sort of fe- – you live in California. You might know. Bieber's also – no, Bieber's just crazy too, but he's not like – He's not, not like, like – He's not like dangerous crazy. He's not, yeah, he's, he's like – he's soft crazy. He's just like, oh, man, that guy's kind of yes. weird. He's like, I'll throw a weird tweet out there crazy. Yeah, and like he – he doesn't want this. Bieber doesn't yeah. want this. He doesn't want this smoke. You, you made a very good point about the whole doing his own stunts thing. Tom mm-hmm. Cruise is tough. He's been through a lot uh, of stuff sequences. like that. He's been through a lot of action sequences, like you said. He's uh-huh. taken a lot of hits, and he keeps getting back up. He keeps answering the bell. He keeps doing his own stunts. I mean, not only does Tom Cruise win, I think it's like it's early. You think it's early? Uh, First, I, don't, I, don't, I, I think Biebs is soft. I don't think How do you think it goes? Submission? Do you think oh, chokehold for sure. Chokehold for sure. He gets him on the ground, and he, like, cause like you said, if he has a few weeks to prepare for this, there's yeah. no doubt in my mind he hasn't learned every single important submission hold and knows exactly how to get his opponent into said hold you know, by just the way they're standing or the way they're moving. Yeah. Tom Cruise figures it out, and he chokes out Justin Bieber. Probably holds on to that a little bit longer than he should, too, forcing the ref to kind of pull it <laughs> off after Bieber has, has passed out. Because Tom, Almost Tom, says to vacate his win. Yeah. He's got he's to not set the tone, but he's got he's to let him know, and I think that's how he does it. Now, uh, to me, I think it goes TKO. I think Cruise lands like a nice little combo, and Bieber just quits first round. I'm done. Just, just I don't know what I got myself into. I've never been punched in the mouth. I quit. He, he throws does. in his he throws in his own towel. Yeah, but would I pay thirty five dollars pay per view? Most likely, yes. I'd, I'd probably pay more than thirty five. Yeah, but if it see if it gets north of thirty five, we find a stream. Sorry, <laughs> that's the rule in the Muso household. I said it. We find a stream. That's the rule in the Muso household. You want to shut us down? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't really have much here, but uh, we do want to, like I said, send our thoughts and prayers to Big Poppy, who uh, has delivered so many amazing moments on the field, off the field, in the wake of tragedy. Um, he, he'd been, you know, not to be cliche, but Boston strong and meant so much to uh, that city. He's meant so much to baseball fans. He's uh, he's a great character, um, someone who just leads with charisma, and uh, to hear that he you know, was shot in his own hometown. Um, he is, last I heard, stable. Um, he was shot in the leg. And uh, I also did see some tweets that there was a, uh, there's a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A suspect in custody mm-hmm. who was being dealt some some Dominican justice already. So, As he um, deserves. Uh, but we're, we're thinking about Poppy and uh, watching all of these morning shows, Rich Eisen, um, Dan Patrick, everyone's you know sending their condolences and their memories of Poppy, um, and just getting to watch these moments again, these postseason, um, just game changing walk offs, uh, series changing walk offs. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a guy that will remember long after his years here on Earth, and I'm glad that you know a, a ridiculous incident did not uh, cut those years short. So yeah. 
Luckily, our prayers to Poppy. Not a live update for those of you listening to this podcast, not on Monday, but as of 1128, ESPN has an article saying doctors are saying he's out of danger. Uh, he'll be in intensive care for the next 24 hours, but uh, it seems like the uh, the worst of it has passed for Poppy. So, so fingers crossed for that. Thoughts and prayers to him and his family and, and really the whole city of Boston. Absolutely. Uh, Matt, you got anything else for the people before we say goodbye here? Go watch Pebble Beach this weekend, guys. Go watch Pebble, watch Beach. Pebble Beach. Root for the course. and uh, big course, guys. And Tor Tiger. Tiger. Or Tiger. <laughs> That's going to do it for the Moose and Runes podcast. For Matt Rooney, I'm Joe Musso. As always, hit us up on Twitter, at Moose and Runes. Give us those uh, Oceans takes. Uh, we want to hear them. Rank them. We'll see you next week on episode 109. Until then, be good. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise, and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. (laughs) Chicken on the steak was phenomenal.